Hey, friends, as uh, we get started today, I wanted to, first of all, introduce myself. My name is Ryan. I'm one of the pastors here, and I have some exciting news and a caveat. <clears throat> so, the exciting news. Um, we have seen a number of pieces move into line, and so I'm excited to share with you guys that there is a strong likelihood, <clears throat> strong likelihood, that two weeks from now, we will be worshiping in our new facility. <clears throat> Now the caveat, now the caveat, we are still waiting um, for some permitting to come through, and so that is not guaranteed, but what we wanted to do was give you guys a heads up that at least it was a strong possibility. So here's what I'm going to ask you between now and then. Keep an eye on social media, keep an eye on communication from the church, and we'll be communicating with you both on the website, on Facebook, but man, praise God, it just is so exciting to be turning the corner of this exciting chapter just, you know, again, I want to thank all those that have been a part of this project, that have invested their time, talents, and resources into this building. It is just thrilling for the first time in our church's history to turn the corner into this new season. Can we just give a hand to God for his faithfulness? In fact, since we have the time, you know, I want to pray, uh, both for the permitting process and for what God's going to do as we move into that new facility. So would you join with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are a generous God. You are a faithful God. And Lord, what an exciting place uh, to stand on this moment as a church family, Lord. I, uh, this week I was just thinking it feels a bit like standing on the edge of the Jordan River before the people of Israel crossed over. God, there still are um, some details that have to work out, and I thank you that details are nothing compared to you. And so, God, we just pray that your will would be done. God, we ask for all the details uh, to work out. We ask for favor in the different permitting departments. We ask just uh, that you would move. And Lord, we trust that if that isn't your plan, that uh, your timing is perfect. And so, God, we just, with a sense of expectation and excitement, uh, just look to you and confess again you're good. So now, as we look at your word, would you guide us? Would you lead us? Would you transform us as we seek you? We love you and praise you in your name. Amen? Man, Well, friends, today we come to the end of the Beatitudes, and uh, I'm going to begin this morning by reading our scripture. And so if you would join with me, this is found in the book of Matthew, in Matthew chapter 5, verse 10. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You know, this week as I uh, started to prepare uh, this message, one of the things that I was reminded of is, man, in so many ways, what an odd way to end the Beatitudes. You know, on one hand, Jesus opens the Beatitudes by telling us, blessed are the porn spirit, blessed are those who see how desperately they need God, blessed are the peacemakers, the ones who are willing to step in and reconcile, blessed are the meek, those that are willing to uh, put themselves to the side in order to trust God's faithfulness and see God's work in the life of another. And so, doesn't it seem a little odd to end on this note of persecution, or maybe it's the key to everything? Add to that the fact that in so many ways, as 21st century Americans, the idea of persecution seems like something that we read in headlines or something that we hear about in distant countries and places. And so we ask the question, uh, how, does, how does persecution, this reality of suffering for the gospel, intersect with our life here and now? 
But as we've been suggesting throughout this entire series, the Beatitudes serve as a kind of perspective recalibrator. They invite us to look at life through a new lens, through the lens of the reality of the kingdom. And so if that's true, certainly this topic speaks to us today as well. But how? And it's here that these words of Jesus, I think, are even more important, even more applicable in our time as they were in different seasons of church history. You know, if you're just joining us this weekend, we are in the midst of this series where we're looking at the Beatitudes. And uh, these Beatitudes are uh, these statements that are made by Jesus. You heard me share as we opened up on this section that, you know, growing up, I remember being told, you know, the Beatitudes are the Beatitudes. They're the attitudes that we're supposed to be. The trouble is, as we'll see here in a few weeks, Jesus tells us later in the Sermon on the Mount that if your righteousness doesn't surpass that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you won't make it into the kingdom of heaven. The point that he's making there is that righteousness isn't just about something that happens on the inside. It's about the brokenness of the human heart and a powerful invitation to redefine our life in light of the reality of the presence of the kingdom of heaven. You know, when we talk about persecution, we may say, well, you know, that's something that is banished to the corners of church history, but the reality is persecution is very real around the world today. In fact, let me share this map with you that I found this week. This is the current state of persecution around the globe. And if you've ever had the chance to sit with someone that has endured persecution for the sake of the gospel, one of the things that I have found again and again as I walk with those brothers and sisters is the profound sense of peace, joy, and purpose that marks their lives. And honestly, I get a little hungry for that because they, they seem to just have this focus and perspective of what matters most. In fact, the reality is, according to the statistics, more people gave their lives for Christ in the 20th century than at all other points in church history combined. Persecution is a very real and powerful dynamic. And yet, one of the things that we simply can't escape is the reality and the presence of persecution in so many corners of the human condition. It's why I want to suggest to you the key idea of our message today is this, that persecution is part of following Jesus, and enduring it proclaims the uniqueness of God's people in the world. You know, as we talk about that, I think we have to start by recognizing the inevitability of persecution. Again, notice what Jesus says here in verse 10, where he says, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake. And then he goes on in verse 11, blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. You might say, well, wait a second, Ryan, where do we experience persecution in 21st century America? And let me just say for the obvious, in so many ways, we don't. But again, the point of the Beatitudes are not to tell you, go out and suffer more, go and be more persecuted, but rather they're an invitation to adapt a persecuted mindset, what I would call a cruciform or cross-centered mindset in the way that we go about life. In fact, in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 2, we find a word that is so powerful where we're told that all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. You might say, well, wait a second, Ryan. Again, how does that apply to us here and now? And I think to answer that question, we need to come back and simply ask, what in the world is persecution? Now, for me, I'm a big word junkie. And so definitions mean a lot to me. 
Uh, this word in the Greek, as we're told from one commentator, uh, basically means this, that persecution is to afflict, harass, or destroy for adherence to a particular creed or system of religious principles or to a mode of worship. What defines persecution is suffering that a person endures because of their adherence to a particular set of religious beliefs. Now with that, let me take a step back and tell you what persecution isn't. Persecution is not the loss of privilege within a culture. Persecution is not, um, you know, the inevitable consequences that come as being a jerk to someone else. Persecution is not just the difficult circumstances that we face in this life. So then what in the world sets apart this uniqueness of persecution? You know, as I sat with this uh, definition of persecution this week, I found myself asking, okay, if the, if the Beatitudes are a kind of perspective recalibrator, if the Beatitudes are a way of looking at life through the lens of the gospel, if persecution is the extreme, what's the next step back? You know, and I was quickly reminded of conversations that I've had with people around the world who've endured persecution for the sake of the gospel. And one of the things that I have heard is a consistent theme without those, throughout those stories is a willingness for people to say, yes, I knew that following Jesus would cause me difficulty, harm, suffering, that loving this person would bring inconvenience and pain into my life, and that's when the light bulb went on for me. But the step back from persecution, as we see it uh, typified around the world, is a cruciform mindset that asks the question, am I willing to be inconvenienced for the sake of the gospel? Am I willing to endure inconvenience that another person may see the grace and the mercy and the love of Christ in their life? In fact, notice the way that Webster defines inconvenience. He says that inconvenience is trouble or difficulty caused to one's personal requirements and comfort. I hope what you're seeing in this is that in persecution is a willingness to make a choice, to look at the difficulty that following Jesus may bring in different dimensions of our life and to choose Jesus anyway. And there's a thousand ways where this kind of inconvenient mindset shows up in our lives. When we're mistreated by others, is our response to retaliate, to say something harsh in return, or to adopt the posture of Jesus, who loved even his enemies? When we've been wronged, when someone has committed an evil against us, is our posture the same of Jesus, where we say, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing, even as they've just nailed us to a cross? <coughs> Again, what defines this perspective, this persecuted perspective and mindset, is a willingness to allow the comfort, the peace, and the ease of our life to be interrupted. That another person may see the grace and the mercy and the glory of God. Can I tell you how convicting that was to me this, this week? I mean, man, I get out on I-65. <laughs> I do not want to yield <laughs> my rights. I mean, dude, I don't know what it is about those highways, but people go nuts. 
And, you know, I, I, by the way, I love this southern term. As somebody from the West, I love this thing. Oh, God bless you. Bless your heart. I mean, what a powerful way to say, you idiot, in such a nice way. <laughs> you know? And the reality is, in those moments of brokenness, am I invited to see the inconveniences, the brokenness that comes on the part of another? as an opportunity to bear witness to the grace and the mercy and love of Christ in my life? Or am I going to plant down my feet and say, it is my right that you treat me well? Is it any wonder then that this is the culmination of the Beatitudes? I mean, if I really believe that I'm poor in spirit, that I'm spiritually bankrupt apart from the gospel of Christ in my life, then what evil could somebody commit against me that I've not already committed in my own heart? Makes forgiving the wrongs of another a lot easier. Or maybe, if, if we really believe that blessed are the meek, blessed are those who trust that God is the one who settles the score, can I endure persecution in those difficult moments trusting that the God who is good and faithful can still cause all things to work together for good. No, I think Jesus knew exactly what he was doing in this beatitude. And he's inviting us into a way of living. Again, what I'm going to suggest to you is a cruciform way of living, a, a cross-modeled kind of living that chooses love even at the expense of personal comfort, ease, and peace. In fact, Jesus himself in verse 11 will begin to show us why persecution is so incredibly difficult. Notice what Jesus says are the context and the circumstances of this kind of persecution. He says, blessed are you when others revile you. You see, here's the thing about persecution, and I would say by extension this inconvenience, is that it confronts our desire for approval. This word to revile means to be spoken poorly of. It means to be dismissed or to seem as foolish in light of another person. What happens when we choose the fidelity to the gospel is we may at times risk being perceived wrongly or misunderstood because of our conviction of who Christ is. Now, having said that, again, let me add this caveat. This is not permission to be a jerk. There are so many times, even in the church today, that I watch people say things in the name of Jesus that are anything but words that would come from the mouth of Jesus. But rather, if there are times in our life where trusting Christ brings us to a place where others might think ill of us, can we trust that Jesus is faithful, Jesus is good, and that he will be with us every step of the way. Notice what Jesus goes on to say, that it's not only when others revile us, but when they persecute us. This word, to persecute, means to pursue uh, fiercely uh, with the desire to um, take away somebody's property, take away somebody's ease, take away uh, somebody's comfort. In fact, I think one of the very practical questions that we can ask is we bring these ideas of approval and um, this idea of uh, our comfort together is simply to ask a question that for me just challenged my heart this week. 
And it's simply this. When has following Jesus required me to risk the approval of others to be faithful to him? I mean, think about this for a second. Jesus says that if anyone should follow me, let him take up his cross, deny himself daily, and follow me. That means that every day in our lives, there should be some tangible way in which we die to ourselves in order to see the kingdom advanced. And so maybe a fair question to ask alongside of that is, when was the last time that the gospel inconvenienced you? Challenging stuff. And it's why then we shouldn't be surprised when Jesus goes on to say that, this, that in, this, um, in this pursuit of following Jesus, that sometimes there will be times that it will confront our desire for comfort. You know, one of the things that always astounds me throughout church history is the tension that the church has felt to make following Jesus comfortable, you know? Um, we, we dismiss a fidelity to the gospel because we, you know, we want to make the path as easy as possible. But the thing about the gospel is that it is a call to a wholehearted surrender to Jesus. You know, uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer in his book, The Cost of Discipleship, have any of you ever read that book? If you haven't, I challenge you, read it. It's fantastic. In fact, it's a commentary on the Sermon on the Mount. And one of the things that he warns about in there is the reality of what he calls cheap grace. It's grace without repentance, grace without transformation. And the point that he makes is that if, as a result of following Jesus, we are not experiencing transformation, then we have to be asking the question, who's following who? And it's why, then, I think a very practical question we can ask in our life is, well, what is one way that I can choose inconvenience that another might see the gospel? Let me share a very practical story. Um, when I was in seminary, I remember being in a, a grocery store. Back then, we had Winco. And Winco was kind of like the discount grocery store that everybody went to. And, you know, um, I think Winco is a lot like what people think Walmart is here. Like, you go to Winco to people watch, right? Like, there were just all kinds of interesting characters. And I remember one day in particular, I'm walking through the store. And here I am going from place to place. And all of a sudden, there is this woman that literally everywhere I go, she is like body checking me and getting in my way as I'm trying. And, like, and again, I'm not talking like she's getting in my way. Like she's full on body checking me at different places to hurry up through the grocery store, to grab a toothbrush. And I'm, I'm getting furious. Like the first time this happens, I'm like, dude, what is your deal? This happens like three different times uh, through the store until we finally get to the checkout line. <clears throat> As we get to the checkout line, you'll never guess who's right in front of me. You guessed it, the same gal. The thing was, she wasn't alone. And the guy that was with her, very obviously, was profiteering from the sale of her, if you know what I mean. In the ways that he spoke of her, propositioned her, and instantly, in that moment, my perspective changed. And I just began to cry out, Jesus, forgive me. All I could see was how I was being inconvenienced in the moment. That I missed the beauty and the glory 
of this daughter of yours that you'd made. Friends, how easy is it for us to go through life day by day, moment by moment, in the routines of our lives that we never even stop to see the pain of another person. We never even stop to take the risk of inconvenience because life is just too busy. But you talk to someone who's been persecuted and they'll tell you the stories of how they've done life and they have watched as other people have come and pursued their home, that they've risked taking their children, and yet, still they say, we will confess the name of Christ, and we will love our enemy, despite the cost. And the model of that cruciform, that Christ-centered life, is so profound, so deep, that it becomes a powerful invitation for us all. You know, as I sit down and I have those conversations with those dear friends, again, I look at the words that Jesus says here. When he tells us, rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Honestly, I want to read that and say, Jesus, are you nuts? Rejoice and be glad? Are you kidding me? When we're inconvenienced, when, when we have to suffer for the sake of the gospel, we're supposed to be excited. How in the world do we maintain that kind of perspective? And I think right there is our answer. In recognizing that this kind of attitude is endured by perspective. For me, one of the great examples of this kind of attitude in Scripture um, in a very well-known passage, is just such a beautiful invitation to the call and orientation of our lives. Listen to these words from the Apostle Paul. When he says, but whatever things were gained to me, those things I had counted as loss for the sake of Christ. More than that, I count all things as loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things. And count them but rubbish so that I may gain Christ. Now, I'm going to pause here. Because I want to tell you a little bit about one of these terms that we've just used. This word, rubbish. Um, the junior higher in me loves this term, rubbish. Um, it's the Greek word, skubalon. And if you do the, the word study on skubalon, what you will discover is that skubalon's lexical definition is a vulgar term for excrement. It's, it's the one time where I'm kind of tempted to use the word, I won't. But man, doesn't that highlight Paul's point here? I look at everything else in my life. And it's nothing more than that in view of knowing Christ Jesus. Oh, and listen, oh, so that, so that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection, and the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death in order that I might attain to the resurrection of the dead. Holy cow, now that's a perspective. 
Paul is saying, here's how I live. I look at the sufferings and the difficulties and the, and the inconveniences of this life. And I set it next to the reality of who Christ is, the majesty of his gospel, and the call that we have to follow him. And when I put those two side by side, one is glorious, beautiful, and we're dying for, and everything else is garbage. The trouble is, we like our garbage. <laughs> And what would it look like today if we began to look at every area of our life and to, again, make the commitment to bring it under the lordship of Jesus and to recognize that he and he alone is worthy of it all. And what Jesus does is he goes on then to show us the blessing of this kind of life. And again, I think it's important to step back here and say what Jesus is not saying here is go out and be more persecuted. Jesus is not saying go out and you know, beat yourself with a Bible or something in public in order to impress people with how persecuted you are. <coughs> but what Jesus is saying here is that when you find yourself in this place, when you find yourself following me at this intersection of inconvenience and comfort and you choose inconvenience, you'll discover you are blessed. In fact, notice what Jesus says um, their blessing is. In verse 10, we're told that when they are persecuted for righteousness' sake, theirs is the kingdom of heaven. By the way, this is the only repeated promise that we find in the Beatitudes. Jesus starts and ends the Beatitudes with the same promise. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. I think there's a powerful connection there. Jesus is reminding us that when we have a true poverty of spirit, that when we understand that nothing else compares next to him, there is a joyful ability to surrender every other thing to make his mercy and grace known. But look at the promise that we're also given. This reminder that as we're, we suffer for righteousness, as we endure inconvenience for righteousness, that we can rejoice and be glad for great is our reward in heaven. In fact, what I want to suggest to you are two blessings that come as a result of this reality. Number one, that the promise to the persecuted is that they have the hope of the ultimate comfort. Isn't that ironic? That in laying down our comfort in our convenience, we discover that which really matters. Again, I'm reminded of the words of Jesus when he says, if you hold on to your life, what's going to happen? You lose it. But if you lose your life for my sake, you find it. This week, I've been haunted by this question. As I look at my own life, what drives my life? Is it the pursuit of comfort? Is it the easy path? Is it what makes the most sense in the moment? Or is it the confident assurance that the kingdom of God is coming and there's nothing anybody else can do about it? And whatever inconvenience I might be called upon to endure is but a privilege that another might see the grace and the mercy and the advancement of the gospel. But can I suggest you a second hope? And it's that they have the hope of the highest approval. Again, 
this reality that as we endure this, um, this inconvenience, or as we think of our brothers and sisters around the globe who endure persecution, we have this promise that our reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. This is simply continuing on in the family business of following Jesus. You know, the reality is, I believe that God has a profound heart for those who have laid down their lives to follow him. And and if I'm honest, I don't know that I have ever felt a time in my life where I've been called upon to do the same. I think of our mission partners like Peniel in, in India and the way in which at times they are called to cover books or to hold back their faith in order to remain safe in that community. And, and that kind of living seems so distant and removed from my way of thinking. I think of my friends in Uganda who, in the advancement of the gospel, were willing to endure ridiculous persecution and suffering under the life of Idi Amin. And I remember standing in the living room of one of these huts as a woman had a little plaque on her table that simply said, God is able. And she reminded me that if God could carry us through that, couldn't he carry us through any other thing that life throws at us? And friends, let me be brutally honest. I'm not asking for persecution. Uh, The humanity in me loves loves the life that we're allowed to lead in this culture. But can I tell you, there's also a part of me that yearns for the perspective of my brothers and sisters around the globe who have been confronted with the call to follow Jesus no matter the cost and chose Christ anyway. It has brought such clarity and perspective and directive to their life that changes everything. And I want more of that in my life. Again, I don't think the answer is go and be persecuted. But I do think it begs this question. Where might God be inviting us to embrace the risk of inconvenience? You know, this week, as I was meditating on this passage, I was reminded that in so many ways, is this not the ultimate example of the life of Jesus? You know, a few months ago in December, we celebrated this beautiful miracle that we call the incarnation at Christmas of Jesus leaving the comfort and the security of heaven to be born in a manger, to lay down his life for us. And if the incarnation is anything, the incarnation is the most profound act of inconvenience that human history will ever know. And it becomes a powerful invitation for you and I to live in much the same way. What would, what would it look like if every day we began to live with the perspective of how can I be inconvenienced for the gospel? We chose it. I mean, goofy things. What if instead of getting in the shortest line at Costco, we chose the longest in the spirit and heart of making Christ known? What if we put our grocery carts away in the parking lot And again, I mean, we laugh because these are such small things, but these small things can mark a heart and a posture that says Christ and others are greater than myself. And because of that, we live in a confident willingness to endure difficulty and inconvenience that others might see the love and the mercy of God.
But then it would also say, how can we be praying for fellow believers who do, do endure persecution? Friends, I think it is a good and healthy rhythm to go to an organization like Voice of the Martyrs and to read the stories of brothers and sisters around the globe who are laying down their life for the gospel. It's so easy to get locked in to a 21st century American mindset that we miss the stories of valiant stands of brothers and sisters around the globe who choose Christ above every other thing. Another book you might choose to read if you'd like to do more reading about this, it's not happy reading, is Fox's Book of the Martyrs, stories of ancient church martyrs, people who laid down their life for the sake of the gospel. It will give you such a perspective and insight on the call to following Jesus that is so foreign to our culture today. So again, I come back to the question that I started with. As 21st century Americans, what are we supposed to do with this beatitude? Though, friends, I don't think we're called to somehow force persecution upon ourselves. Though I don't think that this, this beatitude is telling us, uh, you know, go out and suffer. I think it is an opportunity for us to examine our hearts and to say, can, do we have the confidence that if following Jesus brings us inconvenience and difficulty, we can have faith. We can have confidence because God meets us even there. Friends, I close with the words of Tortillian that you perhaps have heard before when he said that the blood of the martyrs is the water of the church. One of the things that we have seen in church history again and again is when the people of God are confronted with difficulty and choose Christ anyway. Though we may not face it to the same extreme, may we, though we may not face it to the same depth, today, may we have that same kind of attitude in our hearts and lives. May our posture, may our heart, may our attitude be the same. That in light of the presence of the kingdom of God, everything else is garbage, rubbish in our life. And in that hope and in that joy, we say, Jesus, you're worth more, far more than anything I could ever give. Let's pray. Jesus, I, I'll be honest, I, I wrestle with this one. because in so many ways it confronts everything. And Jesus, I, I ask that by your grace, you would find a heart that believes and wants to believe even more, and that you would help my unbelief. Lord, in the places of my life that would look for shortcuts, easy fixes, quick remedies, comfortable living, manipulation, guilt, fear, shame on another. God, I just, I throw those things before your cross in the confidence that you are worth more. That you are worth more. You are that good. Jesus, as with all these beatitudes, how we pray that you would open our eyes. 
How we pray that by your grace and mercy, you would continue to shape and mold us and guide us for the advancement of your kingdom. We love you, Jesus. We praise you in your name. Amen.